Hello and welcome to the Keto Man's Club podcast. We're glad you're here, where each week we talk about men's health and lifestyle. We do so with the foundation of the ketogenic diet and lifestyle. If you don't know what keto is, stick around and you'll find out. The podcast will bring you real honest fun. Each week we strive to uncover the tips and tricks that you can use in your everyday life to maximize your overall health and find the clearest path to becoming the best version of yourself that you were meant to be. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Keto Man's Club podcast. My name is Chris. I'm one of your hosts and I'm joined this week only by Jim. Alberto, I think maybe for the first time, is actually out this week. Maybe second. He's, he's uh, out missed, of town. He's missed one or two. We'll okay. give him one or two. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But he's out for uh, business stuff tonight. So we'll miss him tonight. But hopefully he's eating well and having a, a good dinner with the, the client that he's working with there. So uh, how's it going, Jim? What's new? It's been a week this today. This, these <laughs> things, as I shared with you and Berto earlier today, just a lot of stuff going on. Some good, some a little bit more challenging and whatnot. Hated the fact that I actually missed a friend's son's graduation party this past weekend because of COVID and everything like that. And I'm, it's, we're recording this in early August, so we're now into like month umpteen seven million four hundred and sixty three point nine of COVID. It feels, and uh, yeah, the last couple of weeks have been a little bit of a challenge, but. The sun comes up every day. We keep moving forward. We keep going on. So that's what I'm going to focus on tonight, sir. How has your week been? It's been a pretty good week so far. I'm settling oh, into. Shut up, Chris. I'm <laughs> um, settling into a new schedule. So that's always a little weird. But we got good barbecue on Saturday. And uh, Sunday, we got some projects done. And today, we're, we actually had to shift our recording days to, to switch today, where I was actually off in the evening, because during the week, I will be working. That's going to take some getting used to. But in general, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about what we're seeing and all of mm-hmm. that. So I'm not too, not too mad at, at all that right now. And it's uh, been a, a good start of a carnivore month. There's a group of us on a, a group chat that, that Berto and I are on. And of course, Berto is always carnivore, but uh, a couple of us are, are going a little more strict carnivore for the month of August. And I'm, I crashed and burned really badly during the July tracking thing about halfway through it was nope I'm done tracking I stayed on point with what I was eating but I'm just done tracking so I'm not tracking right now but I, I am being meticulous about what it is that I'm eating and making sure that I stay on on strict carnivore and so far that's been doing okay for me yeah good for you good. man yeah. it's it'll be fine it'll be fine yeah yeah absolutely Okay, so let's talk about club business here real quick. Is there anything new? I didn't see we haven't done our Welcome Wednesday yet because we're not recording on Wednesdays anymore. Any other business? I know I'm still growing. We've got plenty of growth still happening, but any other things going on? I am grateful for a couple of private messages that I have received from some of the members in our group showing some concern not necessarily for anyone in particular, but just this, again, this whole COVID thing right now and checking in or wanting to offer to, you know, what can we do to help support one another? What can we do to, if somebody's out of work or they've got a side gig, how can we help each other out type of thing? So the encouragement goes beyond dropping inches, dropping pounds and things like that. And I'm, I'm truly very grateful to see that. The big group, uh, the Keto Man's Club, continues to grow a little bit slower than the recently renamed the Keto 101 Mm -hmm. Man's Club, which we're coming up on 600 members in that. We'll probably be hitting that by the time uh, this podcast airs. Yeah, things are good. We've got um, T-shirts that will be going out to guys that ordered in the not-too-distant future. We've got some other fun stuff going on. As we get into the winter months, I'm going to... Well, we'll just shut up because I don't want to promise anything that can't be promised. But I would really like to see what we could do. So we'll just see. We'll just see. Absolutely. Yeah. Always something potential and exciting in the the wings there. Mm -hmm. I didn't ask you before. Do you have your pick of the week? I certainly do, sir. And I want to do this one 
without having much information on it because it's okay. just freaking amazing. So as Chris mentioned a couple minutes ago, we're recording on Tuesday night. In the past, we normally do Wednesday night. So Tuesdays in the group is hashtag Transformation Tuesday. And so put that up earlier today. And I truly don't know that I've ever seen this guy post in our group. I don't know that I know much about him or anything. His name is Aaron Kenyon. And he has an amazing before and after. The guy, it, it doesn't even look like the same guy. And we say that on here before, but this is legit. Can't believe it's the same guy, except for the fact that he's got chest tattoo, arm sleeve tattoo. Mm -hmm. So if those match, I would pretty much assume it's the same gentleman. Yeah. And he went from kegerator belly. I mean, that hard thump the melon kind of thing mm -hmm. to dude has abs and like a six pack and muscles and everything. So he posted in the thread for Transformation Tuesday. I asked him for what the story is on how he did it, and he liked my comment, but he's not commented back. So <laughs> okay. hopefully we will get more of Aaron's story in the yes. not too future. But truly, it is an amazing transformation physically, and I hope um, person not personality-wise, but emotionally and everything, how that has happened, I hope has made his life better. So Aaron Kenyon is getting the love from me today. Very cool. Yeah, actually, I've been following Aaron for quite a while. He's on Instagram and more active there than he is on Facebook. Let me try to bring up his handle real quick, but we'll we'll have to have him on to the, the podcast. One of the things that Aaron does that is pretty crazy and, and like I applaud the crap out of him on this is that he results under, underscore over mm -hmm. underscore excuses. Yep, that's him. Yeah, that's him. And so he will take his lunch hours or his breaks or whatever time he can. And that's when he works out and, and he works in a warehouse. So he'll be in his full uniform. You can tell he's already been hot and sweaty from working throughout the day and doing what he's needed to do in the, the uh, warehouse. But if you scroll through his feed, you'll see he's there. He's doing his push-ups. He's doing his jump roping. He found a way to do uh, pull-ups. And he just, he's absolutely, he is the epitome of results over excuses. He, he No excuse is good enough for him. And so he just pushes through. And he has done an amazing job in his, in taking control of his life. And so I'm glad to have followed him for a while. And But yeah, he's a great guy for sure. And he mm -hmm. is uh, really taking the bull by the horns. My shout out is probably pretty similar. 11 months in into the journey, Mario Salazar, and he started in September of 2019 at 210 pounds. And he and at 39, 5'11, he is now floating between about 140 to 150. So he has lost about 50 or 60 pounds, and you can tell he is really uh really leaned out he's actually he, he says that he's uh, at this point trying to change his focus into building now that he's lost the majority of the weight that he had to lose and so mm -hmm. uh, that's uh really really cool and he's looking strong even in his in his slender state but and he's, he's got gonna... the tattoos that identifies oh, yeah. that it is the same guy yes yeah. yes absolutely yeah exactly <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So he, yeah, you can't, you could, but it would be hard to fake it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he, lots of people chimed in on his post and he's, and I agree, he's doing a, an awesome job. Um, good job all around. And we have stories like that all around us in this group. So uh, if you're not a member of the group, go to our website, theketomansclub.com and find the link. If you're a beginner, go to the, with Keto 101. If you are a old pro, but you want some community and, and want to, to hang out with uh, these ins inspirational and uh, motivational guys, go ahead and join the main group and, and we'll love to have you join in and encourage each other through all of that. The other business side of that, of course, is that we'd love for you as uh, the listener to take a little bit of time to... Um, review on Apple Podcasts if you can. Mm. Give a, a, a review, a comment that goes a long way to get us into the algorithm and get us in front of more people, which is just because we want to, not because any one of us want to get famous, because we're not going to get famous. Yes, we but do. Yes, I, we do. 
We want to be keto famous. Okay. I'll we don't have to famous. go for that whole Hollywood thing. We want to yeah, be famous yeah. in our little world. Okay, yeah. I'll take keto famous. But that's not the motivation. It's that there's a message here to share and the stories of the of the men that we have on and and the way that they change their lives is well worth it for sure to to share it along. And if you hear today's uh, episode or or have heard an episode in the past that you think might be helpful or beneficial to uh, you or or, or to to a loved one or a friend, uh, share that with them because who knows? It may be the the stone that starts the avalanche and that could uh, go a long way to to help someone out. Heck, I got my start by listening to... a podcast, they randomly mentioned something, and that was exactly what it was. It started an avalanche for me, and uh, that was more than three years ago. Okay, we have a uh, member as, as our guest today, as normal. Robert is uh, one of our members. He's actually in the Austin area with me, and we keep threatening to have a, a, a sit-down dinner at this point, but we have yet to to get there yet. But we're we're going to make it happen. We're gonna, we're going to make it happen for sure. Robert, welcome to the show. Hi guys, it's good to be here. Eight nine years into twenty twenty. Yeah, it seems that way. <laughs> that, that's, uh, that's exactly how it seems. That's exactly how it seems. I already gave the the little caveat that you that, that you're here in the Austin area, but let's get, go ahead and give us uh, kind of some of the the backstory of who you are, how you know uh, where you came from, all that type of stuff, and then we'll build from there. Okay, I've been in the Austin area since 2011. Kind of moved all over the place before that. Was in Florida. Was actually in East Texas for a while, and and grew up pretty much normally like everybody else. And around, I would say, middle school, junior high was when weight gain started to creep up on me. The What was interesting was that even though I was gaining weight, I was still pretty physically active. I did things like swimming, soccer, baseball, things like that. And despite being, I was able to be like very active despite being overweight. And then I was even able to do mar- marching band, which in East Texas is really fun when you're wearing a wool uniform mm-hmm. when it's like 100 degrees and the humidity is off the charts. Oh, yeah. The, um, in, in do you, like, and then that you do things like summer band, which is in July and August, which is like the best time in the world to be outside. And you probably sweat out a gallon of liquid every day and take in that much. So everybody's got really clean kidneys by the time summer band's over with. But the... Um, Going off to college was where things shifted to get a little bit worse, as it does for most people, because you're at college. And the thing that was really bad for me was you have the all-you-can-eat meal plan. They put me in a dorm that was right next door to hmm. a a all-you-can-eat place that did specialize in Italian food, which for me was like would be like sending Dean Martin to Vegas for rehab, because I just love Italian food. And the weight gain just crept up all the way through college. Now, I did have a couple of forays where I would lose weight and gain it back. My first summer back from college, I got dragged off by my my mom to Weight Watchers. And the problem with being a man in Weight Watchers is the first week on there, you're going to drop 18 pounds and everybody else that's involved in the program is going to want to hurt you. And because they're all like, they're maybe averaging like a pound or so a week. And then you come in there like, yeah, I just lost 16 pounds in week one. But um. What was interesting about that was my first kind of indicator, my foray with that carb cutting might actually be a good idea. Because when you're on like a restrictive portion control like that, you get into the survival mode where your only goal is not to be hungry. And so that was when I started like saying, man, maybe I don't want to eat cereal. Maybe I should eat eggs. And so I would eat eggs. And I found that even though the volume of eggs was less than the volume of cereal, it stayed with me a lot longer and I felt satisfied longer. The only kind of exception to that was like one of the problems at Weight Watchers is they incentivize you to eat fiber. And so I had this horrible creation that was a mix of like fiber one cereal. And the only thing that could cover up the horrible taste of fiber one was cocoa pebbles. So you'd mix those things together and you, the end result looked remarkably similar to mulch. In I, fact, that I was, could totally get it though. That <laughs> totally. Yep. <laughs> yeah. In fact, that was what I was like. Yeah, I'm going to eat a bowl of mulch today. And that always was a good conversation starter for people. But the but I think that whole experience of because I would imagine if you looked at what I was doing there, it eventually ended up to the point where it was like probably a high protein, moderate to low carb, moderate to low fat type of eating that I did that I ended up adapting to in order to function in this system. 
And, and, and so that was why I think when later on, when somebody introduced me to this idea of the Atkins diet, I was very open to that because it was a lot, it was, it jived in some ways with my own experience. Although the thing that was nice about it was I got to, I got to eat regular bacon instead of turkey bacon, or that was one of the many nice things. And also you didn't have to eat like fat-free cheese and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But, and, but what happened was basically for the longest time, I would go on and off diets. I would do something, lose a bunch of weight, go off of it, come back on it, go back off of it. If it was something in the low carb sphere, I probably tried it at one point, did paleo for a while, did low carb on and off. And it was really like nothing like the biggest problem was for me. And I didn't realize this until fairly recently is that I would achieve something and then feel like I earned myself like indulgences. And that would just throw everything off the rails because, because what would start out as one cheat meal would be a cheat day, then a cheat week, then a cheat month, and then so on. And this was a, a process that repeated itself over and over. And the problem was I was just unaware of the fact that I kept making the same mistake over and over again. And one of the things that ended up happening to me, and the thing that was the other thing too, that helped like feed this thing of not wanting to really worry about my health was the fact that I never really manifested type two diabetes. I was still able to be fairly active despite being really overweight. And, I, and not to mention, I had people going, oh, you carry your weight so well. But not believing when I would tell them that I weighed over 300 pounds that I actually weighed, you know, 300 pounds. And what ended up happening was that this, the, the thing that was the big problem for me was high blood pressure. And that kind of creeped up. I ended up at one point getting treated for it, put on meds for it, blew it off after a while. And ended up get, pulling blood pressure so high that I ended up manifesting congestive heart failure, having edema, legs swelled up and everything like that. Ended up putting myself in the hospital on, ironically enough, when I was on vacation in a completely other state when I was in Virginia. So and, did you actually go into congestive heart failure or it, you were oh, just yeah. all the symptoms of, oh my, oh, yeah. how old were you? I was, I was, uh, 34, 35. And it, I was probably like the, they're the, one of the measures they do is this thing called the cardio ejection fraction. And mine was like 10 to 15% below where it should have been. And, and like when they pulled my blood pressure readings, I think the systolic was something like, like 230. It was one, like the person who did it said it was like literally the highest they'd ever seen. And so got put, got put in the hospital, all this. And I wouldn't recommend, by the way, putting yourself in the hospital with edema because they do all kinds of fun stuff to you to get the water out of you in the course oh, of doing that. Oh, that. Um, and what are you taking, my friend? All you, of them? Yeah, I think, water pills and all that. <laughs> or at least that's what it felt like. Yeah, I would, yeah, it's a mess. And one of the things that's really bad is too, is they put nitrite patches on you. It feels like your head's about to explode. They won't give you any, they won't give you Advil. They'll give you Tylenol, which for me doesn't do anything. And, but yeah, it, 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 and, and what really made me feel bad about it was the fact that I'd been at that point, I'd only, you know, been married for a little over a year. I scared my wife to death in the course of doing this. And I ended up getting a pretty severe chewing out from one of the doctors there when I admitted to him that I had, was aware of the fact that I'd had this and chose to not take it seriously. And some of the weight I lost might've been weight he chewed off of me there in that room when he gave me a pretty good dressing <laughs> down about not taking that seriously. But the thing is, the other thing that's really bad about being in the hospital is that they won't, is that even someone like me who I made the point, I made the decision at that point, I need to go back and really try to lose weight at this point. And I was like, I better start here. And that's hard to do in the hospital because they won't give you anything with fat in it. When I, like I asked for the meals they give diabetics, which one of the things was like buckwheat pancakes or something, which is, I'm not sure how that's supposed to work. You can't get butter. They still will give you margarine. And I, hadn't, at that point, probably hadn't had margarine in 15 years. And it was one of these things where by the time I got out of the hospital, I was just like craving fat so bad. I was like, somebody just give me like cheese or something because I need to, I need some fat in my diet at this point. But what's really unfortunate is, and the thing was that I got up to like with all the water weight and stuff, I think I weighed like about 330. And when I got discharged and after I got all the water out of my system, I weighed 259. So that was weight loss plus water loss and whatever else. The Over problem what time span? Um, a couple of months. Okay. 
because it was a pretty big water buildup. I would not recommend this as a weight loss plan. It is not particularly enjoyable. I definitely would say that carnivore is much more enjoyable than the, the congestive heart failure weight loss plan. And, and it hurts less. But, the, but unfortunately, what happened was the weight started to creep back up again because I hadn't really made any kind of lifestyle changes to get to this point. I felt really good at 260, but it started to creep back up there. And before I knew it, I was back up at 300. Now, I never got the fattest I ever got was about 340, but I never got back up to that point again. But I would kind of I kind of ended up hovering in what was a pretty big range between about 300 and three in the low 320s. And essentially what I was on was I was on this cycle where when I had my appointment coming up with the cardiologist, I would go on a, on a like a, you know, a, a diet with about 15 grams of carbohydrates, drop my weight from 320 down to 300 or 299. And I'd get in there and the guy's like, oh, good, you're still at, the, still at this weight. And I'd be like, yes, I did it. Now I can go and have a pizza after this appointment. <laughs> oh, the lies we tell ourselves. Oh, yeah, I had turned it into an art form. See, one of, the, one of the things is this, is that when, you, when you're somebody who has this problem, you become very fluent in, in nonsense that you can tell yourself. And so you can sit down and have wonderful conversations with other people who have perfected this art as well. But, and so that was essentially where I was at that point. I was ping-ponging back and forth between 300 and 320 in the low 320s. And what ended up happening was, actually, I should stop and say one thing too, is in... I'm very thankful and very fortunate and very blessed that I, despite all this horrible treatment of myself with this high blood pressure, when they checked me out, scanned all my organs, checked my eyes and everything else like that, I did not do any permanent damage to myself. So thank God for that. So I got spared any permanent damage from my poor decision making in regards to my health at that point. I will tell you this, though, if you do co go in with congestive heart failure at my age, one of the first things they want to know is if you're on if you're on like cocaine or methamphetamine, because apparently that can cause heart failure, too. And, they, and they'll ask you that a lot, too, especially if you deny it. I almost wanted to say to him at one point, do I look like I can afford to be on cocaine? Because if I do, then I'm really fooling you. But the but so that was 2015. So fast forward to last fall. I was kind of messing around on Instagram and I saw a bunch of people talking about a thing called the Carnivore 75 Hard Challenge. And I was curious since I was, because some of the people I followed that were also involved in, because I was still talking to people in low carb and stuff like that, because I was, even when I wasn't technically trying to diet, I still wasn't going out of my way to eat like insane amounts of carbohydrates. I was probably, if I had to guess, probably I wasn't hitting like the 300 a day that I think that the U.S you know, government standard recommends or anything like that. But I saw a number of people talking about this and I was like carnivore. And my experience at carnivore up to that point had been in like this one group where people were like really hardcore, like asking if they could, what meat was okay to eat raw, really into eating organs. And that's what I thought carnivore was. I thought carnivore was eating raw meat and organs. I didn't realize that, you know, there were, that there's a spectrum of people that are doing different things. And so for me, I just was like, okay, carnivore is a diet that like crazy people do. And, and then once I got, saw what this challenge was, I was like, you know what, that might be interesting to do. Not, and the only reason I really wanted to do it at that point was not in, for any other reason other than I was just looking for something to do. And this seemed like a good challenge because the person that was putting this on, her name is Judy Cho, and she runs this platform of nutrition with Judy on all the social media. She has her own website was saying that one of the goals of this was to create an accountability structure for people because the holiday seems to be when everybody falls off the wagon because it's just one hit after another. It's you got Halloween, then Thanksgiving, then Christmas, then New Year's. When you think you've gotten through all that, then the the ghost of drinking past from Fat Tuesday kicks the door in. And so you have this whole, whole streak of stuff that you go through. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Okay, I think I might give this a shot. Now I waffled back and forth on this. Literally, it was like I think it was about eleven p.m. the, the day before everybody started. Before I got on Instagram, and went all right, I'm in. I'll do this. And the and what was unfortunate about it was that my first weekend, like it started in, on the 18th of October, and that coming up weekend, we were going on vacation. And Chris, you're probably I don't know, you've probably heard of this place, but mm -hmm. it is in the Austin area, going to Lost Pines, the the Hyatt Resort. That was where I was having to go the first weekend on this challenge. Oh, wow. And, and, and the thing is, this is they have a buffet area with this like giant altar to diabetes in the middle with every sweet known to man and a chocolate fountain and everything else like that. And I'm just like, 
get behind me, Satan, holding my hand up to try to not look at it. Now, the thing that was good was they had like prime rib and other stuff like that. So it was I was just like, OK, I just need to eat as much of this stuff as I can so that I like don't feel any desire for this. And what I found was it was actually pretty easy to stick to. I went to this place that served burgers. They were able to give me a bunless burger that had like eggs and cheese and a bunch of other stuff on it. And so the first weekend, despite being in a less than ideal circumstance, went pretty well. Actually, I probably should back up and explain what the challenge actually was. because Yeah, was let, let's, re- let's review that real quick because uh, we've heard of 75 hard in a couple of instances, but not everybody may know what the, what the different conditions are. Okay. So the 75 hard thing is something that has come up with Andrew Frasilla. And I believe he, I think he lives in St. Louis. He owns his own company up there and stuff like that. But his thing was this idea of a kind of challenge that challenges you physically, mentally, emotionally, and everything like that. And what Judy tried to do was take that and create her own version of it, which is a little less hardcore and tends to be focused in a little bit different way. One of the things that I like about the way that Judy approaches all this is the fact she's coming from a, a, she has a background in psychology. And so she's really concerned about how people behave, how they think and things like that and what their tendencies are. And so a lot of that went into this consideration. So the way that the Carnivore 75 Heart Challenge worked was you had to exercise once a day for 30 minutes, but half of that needed to be outside. You needed to eat the carnivore diet. So in that case, it was a little more strict than the 75 hard, which just says you have to follow a diet. The the next thing was that you have to write down every day three things that you are thankful for. And that was called like the mindset component. That one was actually one of the more challenging ones for me because I never really think about things in that context. And uh, so I had to sit there and really go, like, what am I thankful for today? I don't really think about that much. And then, <clears throat> excuse me. And then the next part was that you had to Basically, it, like, it, was, it was this idea of getting involved in your community. So you had to talk about how you had an interaction with somebody where you thanked them for something or had a positive interaction. And you needed to do this every day for 75 days, so about two and a half months. And the, the same rule applied as it applied with the 75 hard, which is that if you mess up one day, you have to start over. And for some reason, doing this just stuck. Like, I, I was able to do the 75 I'd never, like, I had temptations, certainly. Ironically enough, the biggest temptation was actually not for any kind of food. It was for those, like, white monster energy drinks, <laughs> which I guess is a testament to how, how addictive sweet is, even if it's not, like, sugar. And that's coincidentally the reason why a lot of times I speak out against the whole thing. I'm very much in favor of the idea that you maybe need to consider cutting out all sweeteners because I think, yeah. I think it's addictive regardless of whether it's sugar or not. That's actually a component of our little carnivore challenge thing we're doing among my group chat is no sweeteners, no drinks and things like that. And honestly, I've been hitting those drinks really hard. And I I told the guys earlier today, hey, I really want one of those. And I did end up gassing up the car on an errand earlier today. But what did I get instead? I got a nitro cold brew from from Starbucks that was in a can at the grocery or the the gas station, and that had little to no carb in it. And I'm like, okay, that's that I can do. Didn't have any sugar sugar or sweeteners, but yeah, it, it that it, it it is real. That the addiction to the feel goods from just being sweet is a real thing. Very true, you know, and it's one of the, and I think it's one of those things that I think needs, I I wish people would talk about it more because I think talking about it does make people uncomfortable because like I, cause I, cause when I did, I also tried at one point the, the, I just went blank on what it was called. The, what I were a very restrictive version of the paleo diet Mm. where there was no sweetener. And that was kind of my first sort of foray into this idea of cutting out all sweeteners. And so it made it a, and so it was one of those things where I got used to drinking coffee and drinking tea and things like that with no sweetener in there. And I also did what, I don't know if you've ever, you've probably seen it because it comes up on Facebook from time to time, the challenges of cut out all sweeteners for a month and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And I actually did one of those. And at the end of it, and at the end of it, I decided, I was like, I wonder what a Pepsi tastes like after a month off of no sweetener. And the answer is not particularly good. It's literally like getting hit with a battering ram of sweet. And so it's, 
how I just remembered it was the whole 30. I did the, I tried doing the whole 30 a couple of times. And that was one of the things that I noticed that so many people, because there's a form where everybody can talk. And that was one of the biggest problems that everybody had was this idea that you can't, you couldn't have any sweeteners of any kind. Because a lot of people are like, how can I have my coffee? How can I have my tea with no, with no sweeteners? And, and that was, and that's, that, that's a thing. That's something I think everybody needs to be aware of is that sweet thing is very addictive. And even if it's not necessarily spiking your blood sugar, it's still messing with your brain. And the last thing in the 75 hard challenge was actually fasting where you were supposed to fast at minimum 16 hours. And so the way that kind of worked for me, I settled into a routine of, I would eat breakfast and lunch. Um, and then usually some kind of small meal, like right around like 4 PM and then would not, would fast up until 8 PM. And that was actually the thing that scared me the most because one of the things that happens when you're like a sugar burner, as the term goes, is hunger is absolutely horrible. And it gets to the point where it almost be, you almost have this like fear response to it. It's like if somebody comes in the door and smacks you over and over again, at some point when they walk in the door, even before they do anything, you're going to flinch. And that's kind of what this was like. And so one of the things that you develop is this almost mortal fear of being hungry. and I had improved a little bit in that area, especially because of low carb, because when you're not loading up on tons and tons of bread and pasta and stuff like that, the hunger signal still is, is not so bad, but still thinking about that going 16 hours without doing anything may be very uncomfortable. And after, but after a while, it's become something that's fairly easy to do and probably the easy, and it ended up being the easiest thing to do of all of the challenge once I got used to doing it. And Truth be told, I enjoy doing this so much. I'm still on it. I'm on day like 289 of doing this. And if you follow my Instagram, you'll see that I post up there, you know, what I'm eating, how long my fast was, uh, what movement I've done. I go on and off about posting my my, my mindset stuff because for the longest time, I thought nobody was really interested in reading it. And then I threw another one up there and a bunch of people responded to it. So maybe it is more interesting to other people than I thought. But it's something that really has worked for me. It's a good routine. I was able to carry it through the the holidays and the whole COVID thing without having any cheats or anything like that. One of the, like, I'll tell you this though, too, going that long without sweeteners, I, like I got a cold back in late January and tried to take a cough drop and that was terrible. And oh my word. And the thing is, it was, it was like, it was these cough drops called Fisherman's Friend, which I, which I, when I'd had them before, they never tasted sweet to me. And this was like sickeningly like gag reflex triggering sweet when I had these. And so I immediately was like trying to find, are there, is there such a thing as a cough drop with no sweetener in it? And the fact of the matter is I wasn't able to find one. I had to do like hot tea, some salt water, things like that, just because I couldn't keep a cough, cough drop in my mouth. It made me want to throw up because it was so sweet. But the thing that was interesting about this challenge was I, I deliberately seemed like I was trying to do things to make this hard for myself. Um, well, part of it, part of it was that the other part of it was just the way that fate worked out where like Thanksgiving rolled around and we had the company potluck and somebody said, Hey Rob, I signed you up to bring mashed potatoes. And I was like, thank you very much. I appreciate that. So I made mashed potatoes, didn't try them, never tasted them. I just made them and took them up, took them there. And I was like, all right, here's the thing you asked me to make. I can't eat it. But the good news was we had, we had our potluck was catered by a barbecue place. So I got to have a whole bunch of barbecued turkey that was really good. So the temptation to eat any of the sweet stuff was overwhelmed by uh, barbecued turkey goodness. <laughs> where did you learn to, where did you get your appreciation for barbecue? Because you said you'd been in Florida and Texas and different parts of the world. So where did the barbecue love come from? It it really started, well, part of it was because I lived in a number of places where barbecue was a thing. Like I lived in Arkansas for a while. Now in Arkansas, barbecue is pig. It's not beef. Now you can get mm -hmm. beef, but there's a lot of different kinds of pork stuff up there. So that was part of it. Living in Texas, as long as I did, because I said I lived in East Texas for almost 15, 20, uh, no, I'm sorry, 20 years. And Rudy's at that point had just recently come to the area. And then when I was a Texan in exile in Florida, there was one barbecue place there that was called Woody's Barbecue. It wasn't as good as anything I was able to get back in Texas, but it was enough to help me carry on for the time I was over there. But it was nice to find out that was a health food later on. That was wonderful. That was like finding a thousand dollars somewhere. 
Because before you always would think that, oh, I'm just, this is an unhealthy thing that I'm just going to indulge in periodically and come to find out that of all the stuff on your plate at a barbecue place, that's probably the healthiest thing there. Yeah, that was kind of, that was the thanks, Thanksgiving actually was interesting too, because I had, to, I had to navigate the company potluck, but also had to navigate Thanksgiving dinner. And one of the things that I ended up doing was I was like, you know what, because we're going to have all this stuff here, we actually managed to wrestle uh, the cooking of the turkey away a to ourselves to make, because I tried smoking a turkey on a Weber grill and it came out amazingly good. And so as a concept, and so as a result of that, I got tapped again to do it a second time. And what I did too, was I also made a whole bunch of other stuff to take up there that was carnivore. So I made, I cooked up some beef sausage. I cooked up some pork chops and I also made this stuff called carnivore stuffing and carnivore stuffing actually tastes like stuffing for one thing, but it's like when I looked up the recipe, cause somebody posted the recipe in the carnivore 75 hard group. And I was like, Oh, I got to try this. So I look at the recipe and, uh, and it says, the first thing on the recipe is a stick of butter. And I thought to myself, I like where this is headed. Because if you start off with a stick of butter on the recipe, it's probably going to be good regardless of what else happens. But it's basically just like pork rinds, ground beef, ground pork, all mixed together with a seasoning and stuff like that. And it tastes exactly like stuffing. In fact, when I took it to Thanksgiving, that was the only stuffing that, would ever, that was gone when it was over with. Because I got everybody else plugged into it as well, even though none of them were doing carnivore. But I really did a good job of kind of setting the stage up for me to have a bunch of stuff that I could eat. So I wouldn't be tempted to eat the stuffing or the cornbread or things like that. And I was, and I managed to eat enough too that the, everybody else was around me eating pie. And I'm like, I'm good. I don't need any pie. And that was, and it was completely sincere. It wasn't like I was, you know, trying to talk myself out of something. Because the thing I've found too, is the longer you go without sweeteners, the less you want them. Um, because I remember thinking over and over again, when I get to the end of this challenge, man, the first thing I'm doing is cracking open one of those white monster drinks. By the time I got to the end of the challenge, I didn't want it anymore. And I still really don't. For me, if I need a caffeine fix, coffee works. And I really have not had much in the way of desire to have any of those kinds of uh, that sweet stuff anymore. And I think the thing that helped me break the cycle was the fact that I really didn't want to go because we had a group where everybody was chatting about what was going on and just the thought of going in there and saying, guys, I messed up, I got to start over was just something that I just could not bear to do. I'm not sure why, maybe it was just stubbornness, but all those, but all those times early on, I was like, oh man, I really need to have a chip. No, because I don't want to have to, because I wasn't going to lie about it because that would be just beyond the pale for me. But the idea of having to go in there and admit to everybody that I messed up was just something that really motivated me not to cheat. And that got me through the, the hardest part of that, where you're trying to break all those addictions and bad habits and other stuff like that. And that, and that helped get me through all that to the point where once you come out on the other side and you've gotten through all that, you're like, oh, there's something sweet over there. I don't really care. And Christmas was pretty uneventful, despite the fact that there was cookies and everything around there. By that point, I'd largely gotten the sweet kind of stuff out of my system. The only thing that was sad is my family for Christmas does a, a uh, prime rib Yorkshire pudding type thing. And I couldn't have any of the Yorkshire pudding, obviously, because that's not carnivore. But I did get to have a lot of beef, so that made it more than made up for it. The, and then going into the new year, I decided at the end of the challenge, because there was the challenge ended at 75 days, and then Judy came up with a 25-day bridge kind of program where you worked out a little bit more. And after those 100 days, I was like, you know what? I could stop, but I really don't want to. I really like how this... One of the things I really liked was how it brought a, a focus to my life and everything else like that I didn't really have in that kind of that area. It was, it was a good set of habits to get into. It had me exercising every day, um, eating. I felt really good. I was losing weight. I think by the new year, I was at like about 60 pounds, 60 pounds lost. I had an appointment with the cardiologist and um, he was blown away. And I and said, hey, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Now, the good news was he never asked me what I was doing because I figured if I had told him, he might've sent me in for a blood panel to see if I'd completely destroyed my cholesterol or something. But just decided to keep on keeping on with that. And one of the things that was really great about it was because I had done all that up to that point, when I went, when the whole COVID thing hit and everybody's lifestyle just kind of got upended, I was still able to keep doing what I was doing because it was something that was like when I was doing exercise, I was just going for walks outside. I could keep doing that. They never, you know, banned us from going outdoors. The, the diet thing got a little more complicated because it did become increasingly difficult to get meat. So I had to get creative and try other kinds of things. At one point, I think we, we roasted a, 
like a nine pound bone in Boston butt roast. Nice. And we're, <laughs> and mm. the thing, yeah. And that was also when I started messing around with, with pork belly, because you were able to get like whole pork bellies. You couldn't find bacon, but you could find the pork belly. Yeah. That was actually how I ended up with the roast because the grocery store here would sub stuff out. And one time they didn't have pork belly for whatever reason. And they're like, we didn't have a pork belly. So we gave you this roast. And the nice thing was that I got it at the price point of the pork belly, even though it wasn't the same. But yeah, a nine pound Boston butt roast, you can make a lot of meals out of that. But it also gave me the chance to try some other things throughout the whole carnivore challenge. Like I know a lot of people in carnivore tend to be really committed to beef, whereas I, I went through phases where like I went through one where I was really into pork usually like either pork chops or pork loin or something like that. Then another one where I was doing chicken and I was doing like these smoked chicken thighs that were coming out really good. Never was, once you have chicken thighs, you never want chicken breasts again because no, they just have so much more flavor. And not to mention, if you can smoke them with pecan wood, they come out really good too. Um, the, I, I did see in the men's group that somebody was like, couldn't find any meat. So they ended up getting a goose and, and or they got a couple of, of geese and we're smoking those. So everybody was finding ways to adapt to, to what was going on. Because when you look to the store, the first things that got cleared out usually were things that were pretty easy to cook, like ground beef, chicken breast, things like that. Those were the first things to go. And the things that were a little more complicated, sorts of bone-in meat or other kinds of things like chicken hearts and stuff like that would be still there. Now, the one thing I will say, though, that was interesting was I went into HEB one time and all the meat was gone. Hmm. But in this one area, there was a cold case that was filled to the brim with Beyond Meat sausage. Oh, Lord. So apparently the attitude of Texans is it's like, you have to eat this or starve. And Texans are like, okay, I'll see you in hell. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, take real meat any day. Eat the fake meat or starve. No. <laughs> but so that was, and so I tried a lot of different stuff on, on uh, especially during that COVID time, because you never knew what kind of meat you were going to get. I also tried chorizo. To my great shame, as somebody that's lived in Texas as long as I have, I had never done chorizo and eggs as, as a breakfast food up until, I think I confessed this sin in the group a few months ago, confessed and repented and asked for absolution. And that's actually been a pretty a big breakfast staple ever since then, because I was able to get chorizo fairly consistently, interestingly enough, and that mixed with eggs is really good and very filling too. But the thing I found with chorizo is though, you got to check the ingredients because Sometimes there's stuff in there you probably don't want to be eating. Yeah, they've got lots of fillers in there, usually. Yeah. The because I managed to find one that's just meat and a few seasonings and some vinegar, and that's perfect for what I'm trying to do. But the but even still, yeah, like I never I'm really at a point now. I have a lot of people saying, I can't believe you've been doing this long. And I was like, I wish I could tell you it feels harder than it actually is. Because right now it's gotten to the point where it's a routine, it's something I do, I feel good. And it's not difficult. It's something that I've managed to make into a lifestyle. And at this point, it doesn't really even feel that exceptional to me anymore. Because <clears throat> that's one of the things that I noticed is I, I there, like there's a number of people that have been doing carnivore a very long time, like over 10 years time. And one of the things that I've noticed a lot of them have said is the fact that they don't even really think of themselves as, oh, I'm doing the carnivore diet. It's just this is how I eat. And I think I'm starting to get, because when I first heard that, I was like, that's an interesting perspective. And I think I'm starting to understand what they were talking about mm -hmm. because what your normal is, I guess, tends to shift. And you're just like, this is what I do. I get up in the morning, I eat eggs and eggs and bacon or whatever I'm making for lunch. I'll have some meat and then I fast. And it's just a routine that goes on and on. And it's one that I like that I've found easy to stick with. And the result has been just a massive improvement of health. Like just recently, I had a, a telehealth appointment with the guy that's my uh, sleep doc, the guy that gave me the uh, CPAP machine. I actually ended up having sleep apnea. That was one of the things that like when I was working with the cardiologist, he was trying to treat me for was saying, hey, you probably are not getting an, you're not a, you probably have sleep apnea. So I'm on a CPAP machine and I had an appointment with this guy. Now this guy hadn't seen me in a year. And so I get on the telehealth call with him and he goes, okay, Robert, let me pull up your chart. And his eyes get really big. He looks at the chart, looks at me and he goes, you lost 80 pounds. And I, <laughs> and I very nonchalantly said, sir, you did tell me I needed to lose weight. And he was like, oh. he wanted to say, well, I didn't know you were going to do it. Nobody <laughs> 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 <he> does it. <laughs> so yeah, they're not used to that. 
let's so let's talk about that for a second, Robert, because we've gone through so much in the last forty five minutes or so. Give us the numbers, like high school slash college kind of thing. Your highs, your low, where you are currently. Okay. So, and, and and before you do that, what's your height? I'm five nine. Okay. Okay. Just so people can have a perspective on the numbers and things. Yeah, I should have warned you, Jim, that I that I, I talk a mile a minute. You would need to step in and tell me to shut up and take a breath so you could get a word <laughs> You're in. You're fine. I've good. written it's 43 good. pages of notes, so we are all good. We are all okay. good. No. Okay. I am really like one of the things that I've found too is as I've looked back at pictures of myself from the past, is I think I perceived myself as fatter than I actually was at a younger age. But I know that it definitely picked up when around like middle school, junior high school. I'm pretty sure I cracked 300 pounds when I was in college. I was probably in, I, went, I know I was in the 200s when I was in high school. I do remember that. For me, I'm like, when I first moved to Austin, I know I maxed out at about, th- I think the highest I ever got was 340. Because I guess at that point, I just couldn't eat enough to go any higher than that. Because I was, because like I had the typical kind of typical bachelor eating habits of, oh, the pizza place is having a sale. I'm going to go buy four pizzas and live off those for several days. Type And that was my kind of eating thing. And then periodically I would get like self-conscious about my weight. And like I said, do something when really restricted for a period of time and then just fall off again. But where I am sitting right now is I am at 239 as of the last time I weighed myself a couple of days ago. And what's your target number? Do you have one in mind? I'm not really sure. Or are you at your target? I'm not sure what I'm supposed to weigh, so I'm just going to keep rolling with it. I will admit that right now I'm in a little bit of a stall, and I'm not sure why. But I will say this, though. Despite that, I've noticed my pants still are getting looser. There's obviously something going on, but it's just not reflected on the scale. It's interesting to me, too, because I have one of those scales, and I know these numbers are not gospel or anything like that, that will tell you body composition. And despite the fact that the only like physical activity I've been doing is going for walks, I usually do between two and four miles a day, depending on how active I was during the day. I, I have an I have an Apple Watch and it has like tracker on there. I have a Garmin. Okay, actually, like this is going to sound strange, but I really like the kind of gamification of fitness where you can earn badges and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I've got so I have the Apple Watch, the Garmin tracker, and a Fitbit, and I use all three. I'm a bit concerned because like I have the Fitbit around my ankle and I'm worried somebody's going to ask me if having that's on there's like a condition of my release or something at some point if they ever see it. But and that's kind of what, what that's kind of what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to hit a certain number of steps, close all the rings on the Apple Watch and stuff like that. But but it's it runs generally between 2 and 4 miles, but yet I'm gaining muscle and I've been gaining muscle the entire time I've been doing this. Now, I do technically do some weight exercises because I'm picking up my 3-year-old who's very heavy at this point. So I mean, maybe that's what I can give credit for having a little bit more bicep muscle. I'm not sure. So you mentioned your three-year-old and you glossed over what your family setup was there. What what has your family's reaction been to all of this? Oh, it's nice of you to finally stick with a diet. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was the thing is when I was doing this, the, ge- the general response of a lot of them was, oh, there, there he goes again. Because suffice to say, I wasn't exactly operating from a place of a huge amount of credibility in this regard. I was kind of like the person who's like, I have found the tr- my true love when they're on their like 18th girlfriend or boyfriend for that year. That was kind of my level of credibility in the dieting sphere. But now that I've, it appears I've stuck the landing on this one, it's really gotten a lot of people's attention. In the case of my parents, they're actually starting to look not necessarily into carnivore, but more into keto. Carnivore technically could be considered keto. But for for them still, the idea of not eating any vegetables is a little bit weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that's the reaction. My wife's happy that I'm improving my health because it's definitely done wonders for my blood pressure. It used to be with meds. It was still because one of the things and when my doctor, to his credit, was like, look, he goes, you need to get your lifestyle together because I don't want to just sit there and be upping your dose of these things every year to keep it down. And and it was getting to the point where I was starting to flirt with the pre-hypertension numbers, even with medication. But now I'm really getting close to the point where I think that he'll probably be taking me off of one or two of them. Because for example, I took a measurement a couple of days ago and it was like 101 over 77, which is low. Oh yeah. That's been down to tie your shoe and stand up and hope you don't faint. 
uh-huh. type stuff. But for me, and so to, to say that it's been very helpful to me in terms of all aspects of health is an understatement. My fasting blood sugar, now I was never like in the danger range, at least at this point of type two diabetes, but I will admit my fasting blood sugar was ticking up over the years. It was in, it would usually fall somewhere in the high eighties to low nineties. And now it regularly clocks in at, at, and when I say fasted, I'm talking like 12 or more hours fasted. We'll normally clock in at about 73. So it's really improved all the biometrics that I've seen so far. I'm really looking forward to getting a blood panel done and seeing what my A1C is and other stuff like that. But, and, and the, thing that's, the thing that's interesting to me about the whole thing is just the fact that the only reason I did all this in the first place was just because I was looking for something to do. And the end result was all of these, frankly, unintended consequences that were fairly good. And with your weight loss and what you've changed and everything, you talked about the steps and everything. What's your workout routine? It's generally I'm trying to hit certain goals of like 10,000 steps a day. I usually get more than that. Close all the rings on the watch. And that's usually like 12, 12 standing up marks, 30 exercise minutes, but I usually go over 30. And then 900 calories burned. The thing I've discovered about that is that the Apple Watch is a very harsh mistress when it comes to workouts. Because when, if you hit your goal so many times, they, they want to raise them on you. But mm-hmm. the problem is that as you're raising that calories burned while your weight's going down, you're, the calories you burn at idle as a 239-pound person are a whole lot less than what you burned at idle as a 323-pound person. And so it's your, your, it gets harder and harder to hit that goal because the calories you burn just sitting around go down. And also the ones that you get from exercise are because your weight factors in there as well. So that was one of those things where I was like, why is this getting so difficult? The numbers haven't changed. Oh, that's why. And for me too, I'm still mentally adjusting to being a 239 pound person. Mm-hmm. And I'll hold up stuff and go, I can wear this. The closest analogy I can give is like the movie Shrek 2 when Shrek gets turned into a human and he's walking around looking at himself like, huh, that's how I am most of the yeah. time. <laughs> It's just, it's funny because it's even in like minor things. Like I work in a manufacturing facility, so I'll walk and cut between two things and my stomach and backside don't brush up against anything. I look back and I'm like, wow, I fit through there. That's impressive. I'm glad to know that I'm not the only one that does that kind of thing. Yeah, Seriously, because I. Yeah, I spend a lot of time being surprised. It's funny because we, I work at a bank and, um. We have an entry door and then we have an interior door that lets people into the lobby. And I've got a table set up with some stuff on it. Basically, you don't have to touch anything. You just come in and whatnot. But there's a gap between that door and the table. When when I first did that and set it up, I'm like, my butt is not touching anything and neither is my gut. This is all right. Mm -hmm. This is good. Yeah. So little things like that. You Ah, okay. Yeah. And like I have, I buy shirts and stuff like that. Like I hold up a shirt and I look at it and I'm like, I can't wear this. And then I put it on and I'm like, oh, I guess I can wear this. And, and it's an interesting thing because I, I often wonder if I've ever really had a good, clear picture of myself. Cause even when I was really fat, I think I perceived myself not as fat as I actually was. And now I'm in the complete reverse where I'm just like, and I'm just like, do I ever really, am I ever really going to know who I am? I don't know. It's, you know, it's almost, it's almost like you're getting into like metaphysical matrix type stuff when you're talking about that. And the other interesting thing is that at a lower weight, too, you can't just walk down the hall and bump people out of the way anymore because a lot of times they'll tend to bump you out of the way now, especially like this guy that I work with who now who he now outweighs me. I used to outweigh him. Yeah. I can't roughhouse as much as I used to. <laughs> and I forgot to ask you earlier, Robert, how old are you? I am 38. Okay. Huh. On the doorstep of 39. <laughs> yep. Same hey, here. Man. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm old enough to start saying back in the day yet. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you that you have about a year and a half before you have to buy cheaters. And it stinks when you have to. <laughs> <laughs> have, to buy, have to buy, say that again, have to buy what? Cheaters? Uh, reading glasses? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I feel very grandpa-ish when I say that phrase, but... It's yeah. Now you have that effect of being able to look over the top of them at people when you I uh, do. approve. <laughs> I'm very judgmental when I read now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. 
What is um, one other thing that I meant to ask you earlier and I forgot to um, talking about all of this transformation that you have experienced and you said something earlier about your family said basically glad you found something that works. Are, were you the big kid of the family? Do you have brothers and sisters who've had uh, weight challenges as well? You mentioned mom and dad might be looking at carnivores. So what's been that family genetic situation? My um, maternal grandfather did have type 2 diabetes. He worked as a traveling salesman, and so he was basically just eating at restaurants all the time. And that eventually uh -huh. just caught up with him, and it, was, and it was bad type 2 diabetes. It was the kind where you got to use a little bit of insulin. And one of the things that's really bad about that is that will just slowly just erode your health down. And, and that's, it's, it's, it's a really sad thing to watch, um, especially be, because he didn't really know anything about about keto and things like, like that. And that wasn't something that was proposed as a treatment program. When you look at a lot of times, now it's starting to become a thing. But before, if you look at back to what they used to use to, the diocese used to give type 2 diabetics, it's like, it's terrible. It's really terrible. And so that was one of the concerns that my parents had was that maybe I was going to end up with type 2 diabetes. My, I have one of my parents, my mom has blood sugar stuff she's trying to work through. And so she's looking into keto. Doesn't want to do carnivore quite yet. I think that would be a little bit too extreme because I think she still does like to eat vegetables. But it's, yeah, I was like the only real fat kid in the family. Everybody else was all skinny. And a lot of them were also tall too. For Like I have female cousins that are like six foot one, six foot two, for example. I did have one relative, one aunt that was overweight, but had lost a lot of weight doing what I believe was a low carb diet some variation of it. I'm not sure which one, but yeah, for me, I really stuck out in the family because everybody else was in largely pretty good shape, very active and stuff like that. And I was the only one that was like really overweight. So I really did stick out in that regard. And I think, and the thing is, I'm still not hundred percent sure, you know, what it was that eroded things other than just the fact that I was, I, I assumed that it was healthy to eat lots of bread and pasta because it was low fat and it didn't have any sugar in it. Or so, it, or at least from the outside observer, hey, there's no sugar on the nutrition label. Obviously, it turns to sugar, but I didn't know that back then. Yeah. One other thing that's been beneficial, too, I would say about all this, too, is learning. And this is one of the reasons why I, was, why I think this program is good. And having the person who, and Judy, the person that backed it, being someone with a psychology background, mm -hmm. makes you understand your tendencies. Because one of the things that she talked about, and you can actually see it if you look on her Instagram, is this idea of people that moderate versus people that abstain. Mm -hmm. And it's this idea that some people just need to cut things out entirely because they literally cannot moderate their consumption of them. The, and others can. They can just dial it back and say, okay, I'm just going to eat you know, one Reese's peanut butter cup. Whereas other, someone else is like, I can't do that. I need to eat the whole bag. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that's important for a lot of people is, first off, you have to have the intellectual honesty to admit you're, you're one or the other. And for me, it was really a matter of saying, you know what, I don't know if I can moderate the consumption of these things. So I just need to cut them out entirely. And that has also just made my life a lot easier. But I think that's one of the things that I think needs to get that people really should pay more attention to in the diet world is their own tendencies. And I don't think there's, I really don't think there's enough attention played to the like mental side of things like what your tendencies are, what your behaviors are, how your personality works. And I, th and I think that's something that, that we need to dig into more. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I feel like the, the, the psychological aspect is, is something that a lot of people, they just try, especially guys, we, we try to just push through it or we, we try to just Really and truthfully, we, we just like most things in life, we, we just muscle through it as best as we can. And what we don't realize is maybe we're stretching and, and straining muscles while we do it. Or maybe we're doing um, damage to ourselves that, that we, we can't necessarily feel in that moment. And it's that root cause thing as a troubleshooter. I definitely am one of those that I try to be more mindful of it, but I catch myself doing the same thing. I am absolutely not a moderator. I cannot do the moderation thing. My wife, I think I mentioned it in last week's episode uh, too. She made what I'm sure is a delicious Mexican, Mexican style uh, dark chocolate cake mm. and it has walnuts on it. And I'm sure that it's absolutely delicious, but I can't even take a single bite of it. 
because right. I won't stop there. I can't. And it will trigger me going down other things. And that's why for me, the all or nothing thing really is best because that helps me uh, keep things simple and everything. For those interested, I, I am going to throw this out here real quickly. For the sure. Carnivore 75 Hard, there is a fat-fueled family episode that had Judy on when it, when we were j- getting ready to to do that. And so we had her on as a guest. And I say we, I edit that podcast. And that is episode, let me see, uh, episodes number 73. It aired on November 15th. For those uh, that want to hear that, hear more about what she said about all of that and why she set it up and all of that and, and her methodology that's a really great way to to do that so fat field family episode 73 she's also it, been on the carnivore cast uh scott oh yeah she i'm sure she, i'm sure she's been on all of them uh okay. it, that's just the one that i i know and and, and okay I've actually listened to so yeah she's a great resource and it, that was a, a great episode to to hear so we've got one final question to wrap things up for the night and the caveat as we always give it is that the answer to it cannot be steak. So what is your go-to or favorite keto food? Roasted pork belly. It is amazing. You roast it up, put put Redmond real salt on it, and when it's done, I call it meat candy because that's what it basically is. It is amazing. Yep, I, I, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. I will score the fatty side. I'll you know, just do some basic salting and peppering of it, roast it. Sometimes I do it low and slow. Sometimes I do it a little faster, depending on what the, the days are and whatnot. But it, it, if I can get it into that nice, crispy texture, oh my gosh, it's amazing. Uh, my wife will actually smoke it on, on the smoker and infuse all this different flavor into it. And that's good too. But I, I just straight uh, roasted pork belly is, is good enough for me. You guys are going to make me buy a smoker. I can just tell because I've been winging it with the charcoal grill. Uh But everybody, oh man, I got to get a smoker because everybody's posting about those now. That and griddles. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, Berto has reinforced it with us over and over again. I think all Um, that carnivore flexing. (laughs) Yep, pretty much. And whenever all you're doing is cooking meat all the time, you just need fire and smoke. Fire and smoke. Okay. Any other things that that you that we didn't get to that you wanted to cover today? Just one other thing is, I I actually like what you reminded me of this in talking about the cake thing was that I, in the midst of doing this challenge, got roped into doing a baking competition. So I literally <laughs> baked something and won first place with something I never tried. Oh Lord! And so. <laughs> So I basically had to rely on the word of everybody else in the house that it was good. And so I had people come to go, Rob, what you made was amazing. I'm like, all right, thanks. Glad you like it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it can be done. Like it was like I was deliberately going out of my way to make things as hard for myself as possible. But I guess it paid off because because now it doesn't bother me that much anymore. I wouldn't recommend that for everybody, though, just for people with masochistic tendencies like me. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty hard. Honestly, she my wife will. uh, weekly bi-weekly do something baked and it's not not low carb and i'll i'm just having to, to power through and it, it is actually making me uh stronger and, and more more controlled in that regardless but it is uh it is one of those things that that's been an interesting thing to to add to the stress and the strain that is covid and everything else that we've been going through Okay, uh, call out once again to our, our listeners. If you've listened to Robert's story and, and you think that it, it might be beneficial for uh, someone else to hear, please share this episode with them. If you would like to get in contact with us, all of the social response, so, social media links are on our website, theketomansclub.com. Uh, you can also email us at ketomansclubpodcast at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 512-518-6161. So you've got several different ways that you can reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you in any way that you would like to connect with us on Instagram, on the Facebook page, Facebook groups, all of that. Again, links for all of that is on the website. That's it for this week. Until next week, make sure to eat meat, lift heavy, sleep, and repeat. 
Thank you for joining us for the Keto Man's Club podcast. Your support means the world to us. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Would you help us spread the word about the Keto Man's Club by sharing with your friends and family? We're available on all podcast platforms, so just search for Keto Man's Club and you'll find us. If you would like to connect with us, you can do so a number of ways. Our web address leads to our Facebook group, theketomansclub.com. That's T H E. K-E-T-O-M-A-N-S-C-L-U-B dot com. You can also follow us on Instagram at Keto Man's Club Podcast. Lastly, if you have any comments or questions, feel free to reach out via email to Keto Man's Club Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you again for joining us today, and we look forward to hanging out with you again next week.